Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. Okay, so moving on with our discussion of heuristics. First, the representativeness heuristic. Does person A have the characteristics representative of group 1? For example, we'll stick with our basketball players. Uh, You see a bunch of tall guys um, in an airport sitting together, and uh, then you see another tall guy walk past you, and you think, oh, he must be with those other tall guys. That's a representativeness heuristic. Uh, all of the tall guys must be in the same group because they have the same characteristic. I guess just assuming it's a basketball team makes it a uh, representativeness heuristic because that's our our go-to for when we see a group of tall guys. Which shouldn't necessarily be the case because, you know, tall guys in this case could play the line in football or could play volleyball or team handball if you're in Europe, or what have you. So next, the anchoring effect, relying too much on a single piece of information. This is a pretty easy one uh, to illustrate. You ask people, say, hey, what's the height of the Empire State Building in feet? A question pretty much nobody would know the answer to. And to one group you say, do you think it's more or less than a thousand? And to the other group you say, do you think it's more or less than five hundred? Well, the folks you said, do you think it's more or less than a thousand, are going to end up guessing higher numbers than the folks you said, do you think it's more or less than 500? And why is this? Well, anchoring, this subconscious anchoring. Even though um, this question has no effect on the outcome, should have no effect on how they're thinking, just giving them some number to anchor to, to grab onto, ends up changing their, uh, their overall guess very significantly. So then affect is also significantly affects our perceptions. The affect heuristic. How do I feel about that? How I feel about something affects what I think about it. This is um, this is a very interesting thing to consider. So if somebody, uh, it's kind of makes sense, it's natural. Uh, Maybe it's something if you have a spouse or romantic partner, if you know they're having a really terrible day at work, maybe this is not the time to tell them about your new idea for uh, whatever, some new restaurant you want to try. Because that negative affect that they have, those negative feelings that they have related to work, are going to get moved over from that work situation onto uh, your idea or the new restaurant that you go to uh, or whatever whatever the uh, stimulus is. You know, if you have a you wrote a new poem for your spouse and you want them to tell you what they think of it, maybe after they've had a really bad day at work is not the day because it's likely that that affect is going to, the way they feel, is going to change the way they think. So, some more biases in social cognition. Narratives. 
Those are stories we construct to explain situations, and these elicit emotional reactions. Um, this is actually a common thing for those of you doing clinical work. This is a common thing in psychological testing. You give people a couple pictures and have them put it in order of the narrative, because humans very uh, quickly and easily create narratives from um, just a few pictures or a few stimuli. And then you can look at those narratives and learn something about the person. Uh, so one another thing you might do is give them a picture and have them tell you a story about it, because we create narratives so quickly and naturally um, that it's very natural to do, and then from the story you can learn about uh, the, the person you're doing the psychological testing on. Hindsight bias, I knew it all along phenomena. Um, this is something if you're um, if you're like me and you read a lot of research, uh, whenever I tell my wife about a piece of research, she always says, "Oh, that seems to make total sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense to me. I would I would be I would guess that." And I know this cannot be the case. There is no way she would be able to guess the outcome of every major psychological study done in social psychology for the last 50 years. It's just impossible. Uh, unless she's some sort of psychology savant, which she's a teacher, she's not a psychology savant. But this hindsight bias is very strong. Somebody tells you something, if you know the answer to a question going into it, you're more likely to think that it's easier to get that answer and that you would have had a lot of confidence on that answer. So actually what I've taken to doing with my wife uh, along these lines is stopping about halfway through my description of the study and then asking her what she thinks the outcome is going to be. Although once I tell her the outcome, it doesn't matter. She always thinks that she would have been able to guess it. So there's an example of hindsight bias for you. The primacy effect. This is a really good effect. It goes along with the recency effect, the one that follows. The primacy effect, information presented first has more influence on our perceptions than does information presented later. I love this effect. It's kind of like you give people a list of characteristics about a person. If you say you have ten characteristics and the first, if you put make the first five positive, well let's say the first three. You, you make the first three positive then in general they're they're going to have more influence than those middle four. Uh, same thing with a recency effect except in the opposite direction. Information presented late in a list is more easily recalled than information presented in the middle of the list. These two effects together uh, basically can mean that if you give people a list they might remember the first few and the last few and they're not going to give you anything in the middle. So uh, another way to think about this is something we've talked about earlier, I think it was last lecture, the perseverance effect. So if I'm telling you about a person and I say, well, they're very kind and they're very well-meaning and they're very uh, well-behaved, those uh, thoughts are going to be buried in your mind. And if I tell you later, well, actually, sometimes they can get angry and some other negative things because you have those primacy, those the primacy effect, those positive things first, along with our tendency um, to kind of latch on to 
the, the concepts that we learn and it's hard to shake them that we talked about in the last lecture, uh, those two things can work together to uh, enhance the strength of the primacy effect. So a few more biases. I love biases. The illusion of control. This is a big one for gambling research where I spend my day job. The perceived control over random happenings. So that is, the example I think that was used in the book was if you have somebody playing a randomized card game, like, uh, you know, you flip over a card and see whose card is higher. If they're playing against a person who seems nervous or jittery, they think they're going to do better than when they're playing against somebody who seems confident and put together. This, of course, makes no sense because the cards have no memory. The cards have no idea who's flipping them over, and it doesn't matter because they're randomized. But still, we have this illusion of control. We feel like we're going to win against the jittery card player, and we feel like the under-control card player is going to beat us. Uh, this is the illusion of control, and it's, it is, of course, uh, makes no sense at all when you think about it slowly um, and consider it. And this is something that people who have pathological gambling, or what we now call gambling disorder, gambling addiction more commonly, struggle with a lot. This illusion that they can control the outcomes of games, the outcomes of dice, etc. So optimism bias is the uh, overestimate the likelihood of positive outcomes and underestimate the likelihood of negative outcomes. This is another fun one for our people who have gambling problems. Um, overestimating the outcome of the likelihood of a positive outcome, they think, well, if I just keep playing, I'm going to win. I know I'm going to win. I have to win eventually, right? Right, right? No, not really. Not, uh, not necessarily. Randomness... Um, means that you, your chances of winning never go up or never go down. They're always the same. So, uh, this is actually a good thing in general for human life, uh, optimism bias. Because there are a lot of bad things that happen in people's lives, and um, this is something that's beneficial for people to, to have a positive outlook, um, to believe in positive outcomes. I think this is one that is a uh, uh, general grace given to humanity. So rosy retrospection, that is remembering past events more positively than we experienced them at the time. This is, there's a lot of these, but um, uh, I remember a couple of car trips I took that at the time were really miserable. And now when I look back at them I laugh. I think, oh, that was a, that was a good time. I remember once going to Las Vegas from Los Angeles to visit some friends. My air conditioning went out and I was just boiling, driving between LA and Las Vegas in the desert, drinking water, my car was overheating. Man, it was a tough time. But thinking about it now, it seems kind of fun. I bought gallons of water, I would drink them, I'd pour it into the car, I'd stop every 45 minutes or so and pull over. It was kind of fun. but. Was it really? Probably not. Probably I just have a rosy retrospection. A rosy prospection, very similar, but we're overestimating how positive a future event will be. This, uh, this is one that you hear a lot. When I just get married, things are going to be great. When I just graduate, things are going to be great. When I just get my job, things are going to be great. Yeah. 
So that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you know, try and make your life great now because there, these special events in your life, while great, are not going to make you happy. Happiness is happening around you all the time. And three more. Counterfactual thinking, that is imagining what if alternative outcomes. And there are two versions of this. Uh, upward counterfactual, which is imagining a better outcome than actually occurred, which usually leads to distress. And downward can counterfactual, imagining a worse outcome than actually occurred, which often leads to more positive feelings about what happened. And so, uh, an upward counterfactual, you think, you know, man, if I had just, uh, if I had just been two people farther uh, ahead in line, I would have got tickets for this concert I waited in line to get tickets for. Man, that's really depressing. And the downward goes the other way. It's, man, I'm really glad I, I got out of that line and went home because lightning struck there later. And man, it would have been really bad if I had stuck around and gone to that concert. So examples of upward and downward counterfactuals for you.